This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. We got a lot of work to do, no time for whimsical digressions, but I'm also sitting here trying to decide which 90s rapper would have made the best album called Surrealistic Pillow. I think it's Raekwon. Either Raekwon or Cool Keith. Or like which 90s rapper would sound the best just rapping the words Surrealistic Pillow. Raekwon, Cool Keith, Missy Elliott, E-40, and Divine Styler. That's my top five, I think. Plus Rakim. This is a bizarre train of thought. Uh, sorry. Recently, I've been listening to Jefferson Airplane. Today, I feel like pleasing you more than before. This is not a stoned thought, by the way. I got way too many dependents at this point to get stoned. I will get stoned vicariously through the Jefferson Airplane. This is a song called Today from their 1967 album, Surrealistic Pillow, Cameron. Him too. Baria Psychedelia at its finest, this record, famous Jefferson Airplane record. It's the one with Somebody to Love and White Rabbit on it, but also Today, lovely song. We got Marty Balin, rest in peace, on lead vocals and tambourine. We got Jerry Garcia, Rest in peace, guesting on lead guitar. I'm guessing you're not stoned right now either, unless I've greatly misunderstood the general podcast audience. But Marty and Jerry, of course, in this moment, are most likely stoned enough for the both of us. To be living for you is all I to do. This song needs a saxophone solo. Though, that's my opinion. And also the opinion of a guy named Tom Scott, an L.A. jazz dude who had just 18 years old covered today, that same year, 1967, on his album called The Honeysuckle Breeze. Devin the Dude. Just Devin the Dude, rapping the words, The Honeysuckle Breeze. Lovely song, Tom Scott's cover of today. This version is actually playing in that season one episode of The Boondocks when Riley tags a mural of his parents under the side of Granddad's house, and also the Bob Ross painter-mentor guy gets into a shootout with the cops. Eventful episode. Lovely song. You want to just zone out to this version, whether you're stoned or not? Please don't zone out, though. To his infinite credit to the incalculable benefit of rap music and really of society as a whole, Pete Rock did not zone out. Do you ever just sit around imagining Pete Rock hearing that riff for the first time? Pete Rock, of course, one of the best hip-hop producers ever born. Born in the Bronx, raised in Mount Vernon. East Coast rap royalty from the 90s forward. Worked with Heavy D, Run DMC, Nas, Common, and myriad others, including Raekwon and Rakim. And of course, Pete made two fantastic full-length albums with the Mount Vernon rapper C.L. Smooth. The first of which, called Mecca and the Soul Brother, came out in 1992. Track 10 is called 
They Reminisce Over You. That's Troy for short. One of the best rap songs in history. Driven by one of the best samples in rap history. Just a little piece of a sax solo on a Jefferson Airplane cover on a fairly obscure mid-60s West Coast jazz record. Tom Scott made it a hot line. Pete Rock made it a hot song. When they reminisce over you, listen. Listen. Just listen. One of the best samples in rap history. I'm serious. I need to know everything about the moment when Pete Rock heard that riff for the first time, or the moment he heard in his head the incredible song he'd construct around that riff. He's told the story plenty of times, I suppose. Back in 2011, he told Complex he found that Tom Scott record while crate digging with Large Professor, his fellow rapper producer, his fellow East Coast rap royalty. But I need detail. I need insignificant detail. Where does Pete Rock first hear that sax riff specifically? What time was it? Is this in the record store? In Pete's apartment? What's the furniture layout? How much dust is in the air? Any dogs or cats present? Where is Pete physically with relation to the record player? Is he leaning over it with total concentration? Is he across the room distracted like cooking dinner? Does that sax solo's full potential hit him the first time he hears it? The tenth time? The hundredth time? Tom Scott, the saxophonist, by the way, is on TikTok. Tom's had a wild career. He's played with Steely Dan, Whitney Houston, Blondie, Rod Stewart, the Blues Brothers, blah, blah, blah. He played this rad electric flute called a Lyricon on Billie Jean, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. This thing looks like a Star Wars prop. It looks like the G.I. Joe stealth bomber I really wanted when I was 10. Specifically, the Hasbro 1988 G.I. Joe Phantom X-19 Stealth Fighter Jet. You can buy it on eBay right now for $3,500. What the hell? I got to look into that. Anyway, yeah, the Lyricon. It's on Billie Jean. Beep, 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 beep. That's Tom. In fact... Tom's TikTok presence mostly consists of videos where he plays along or pretends to play along to his old songs, and then it cuts to him saying, yeah, that was really me. Like so. We for real. Yeah, come on. Hey, I never forget this. The days of way back. Yeah, that was really me. Quite a charming TikTok presence. Honestly, Pete Rock and CL Smooth dedicated They Reminisce Over You to Trouble T. Roy, a dancer for Heavy D who died in a freak accident, a fall, while on tour in Indianapolis in 1990. But this song is about beginnings, not endings. T to the R-O-Y, how did you and I meet in front of big blues fighting in the street? But only you saw what took many time to see. I dedicate this to you for believing in me. C.L. Smooth also raps about being raised by a single mother, and he shouts out various extended family members, aunts and uncles, and so forth, who also helped raise him. This song is not entirely, or even mostly, about mourning the dead. They reminisce over you as sentimental by definition, but also unsentimental in the sense that C.L. Smooth doesn't feel the need to saint or even sugarcoat any of the people he's honoring or thanking, or mourning. In 2008, while still blogging for The Atlantic, the writer Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote, This song always hit me hard. It gives the sort of complete portrait of the black family that I so rarely see out in the world, and always, always makes me think of my own flawed and incredibly beautiful family. Later, he says, All I wanted to do, all I've ever wanted to do, was write something that hit people the way Troy hit me. When I take back, I recall a man off the family tree My right hand, Papa Doc, I see Took me from a boy to a man So I always had a father When my biological didn't bother But writing anything that hits this hard is nearly impossible. Troy still pops up on best rap songs of all time lists, and even though it's not entirely or even mostly about grief, the mellow ecstasy of that sax riff and the golden hour tenderness in C.L. Smooth's voice, the gratitude and the melancholy settled deep into Troy's bones. That's why it's still rightly hailed as one of the best ever rap songs about grief. Here's one of the other ones. Same effect. Triggers the same instant visceral reaction. In me, at least, but I'm guessing in you. 
also. A burst of sunlight breaking through the clouds if you're shivering. A bank of clouds valiantly swallowing up the sun if you're burning up. It's relief. It's joy. It's grief, but it's communal. It's shared. It's bearable. It's necessary. It's immediate, and it's elemental, and it comes, it came, pretty much out of nowhere. No decades-long backstory, no dusty sample needed. Just a bunch of guys from Cleveland, so preternaturally harmonious that they put the word harmony right in their name, right next to the word thugs. Do what you're gonna do when it ain't nowhere to hide. When judgment comes for you, cause it's gonna go for you. My name is Rob Harvella. This is 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. And this week, we're talking about The Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony from their 1995 album, E-1999 Eternal. Number one song in America for eight straight weeks, The Crossroads. This song is pretty much entirely about mourning the dead. It's about mourning the dead until you join them. It's a song about how you're not alone when you die, and you're also not alone when you mourn those who've died already. Death is inevitable, and grief, too, but that means everyone shares in it. Everyone bears the weight. These guys are the best-case scenario for who you could get to reminisce over you. All of which to say the most important part of this chorus is the line, So you won't be lonely. Bone Thugs and Harmony by 1995 consists of five dudes, five rappers slash singers. We got Crazy Bone, Lazy Bone, Busy Bone, Wishbone, and coming later, and in a somewhat less official capacity, Lazy's brother, Flesh and Bone. These stage names do not necessarily correspond to any of the guys' offstage personalities. Busy Bone is not busier than Lazy Bone, etc. As Wishbone once put it, we all consider ourselves the Michael Jackson of our group. Nobody's bigger than nobody. Crazy, by the way, is K-R-A-Y-Z-I-E. Lazy is L-A-Y-Z-I-E. Busy is B-I-Z-Z-Y. This is an audio format. I'm detail-oriented. Speaking of which, I need more insignificant detail. I need a vivid, overwrought description of the office setup for a woman named Keisha Anderson. Wishbone, doing an interview in 2017, so roughly 25 years later, still remembers her name, calls her by her name, Keisha Anderson. Keisha was the secretary at Ruthless Records out in Los Angeles in the early 90s. Ruthless Records, of course, started by the rapper Eric Wright, a.k.a. Eazy-E, formerly of gangster rap icons NWA. Eazy-E started Ruthless with one Jerry Heller, former semi-nefarious manager of N.W.A. The slow-motion breakup of N.W.A., Ice Cube left in 89, Dr. Dre, etc., left in 91, was quite acrimonious. They made a movie about it, if I recall correctly, but I do not recall Keisha Anderson appearing in the movie. Keisha is the woman, the secretary, the dudes in Bone Thugs and Harmony called every day for weeks trying to get a meeting with Eazy-E in the hopes that he'd give them a record deal with Ruthless Records. I need a full accounting of Keisha's office situation. The furniture, her desk, her cubicle or lack thereof, any plants, the dust, her proximity to any vending machines. We got Doritos in there or what? The peanut butter crackers. Her proximity, I suppose, to Easy es office slash desk slash whatever. I want to see what Keisha sees as she twirls her phone cord and rolls her eyes and muddles through these daily cold calls from these unknown knuckleheads from Cleveland who bought one-way bus tickets from Cleveland all the way to California just to call her on the phone from California and try to get her to hook them up with Easy e This is one of my favorite origin stories in rap history because I find this story so chaotic and inept and therefore relatable. This is how I would have done it if I'd have done it. So, we got longtime friends and family members. Uh, Lazy and Flesh are actually Wish's cousins in their late teens, early 20s in Cleveland, in the Glenville neighborhood, at or around the corner of East 99th Street and St. Clair Avenue. First, they call themselves the Band Aid Boys, which is not very tough. Then Bone Enterprise, which is tougher. Their first underground album comes out in 1993 called Faces of Death. That's super tough. Faces of Death is that notorious bootleg movie from the late 70s with footage of real people really dying, allegedly. What a chatter about that movie in my junior high. There's a monkey brain involved. 
Also, keep that shit away from me. I got enough problems. Let's meet the fellas on a song called Flow Motion. Lazy bonus in the house, I'm getting it started up and it's my border cut to let you know that the harder and the harder you stuff. I get the gaze and let it bless and do your shot. And then you drop your pop, so now I got the feet of black and break. As you may have observed, Bone Enterprise are into speed and melody, primarily speed at this point. That was Lazy Bone, of course. Let's see if Wishbone raps any slower. We never get caught whenever we run because we throw both low. I'm hopping them up and striking them up to keep on me flow more. You step, you stuck, now when the fuck is up with this dumb bitch. I'm back in a night, most all of the time, now back up. Nope. Most of Faces of Death is musically murkier than this and qualifies, I guess, as horrorcore. It's bleak, it's menacing, it's violent. There is drug-dealing-type violence and hellish, supernatural Faces of Death, the movie-type violence. A brief feud will later erupt between Bone and 3-6 Mafia down in Memphis who get pissed when they suspect that Bone are biting their style, the pentagrams, the backwards-masked Satan talk, what DJ Paul from 3-6 Mafia calls the tongue-twisting over slow beats, the Halloween malevolence, and so forth. But after a parking lot scuffle or two, that gets resolved pretty quickly. This is, of course, pre-internet. Regional rap scenes are developing with relatively little knowledge of each other. It's understandable. It's harmless. And the world will get some 3-6 Bone Thugs collaborations later. And really, on this record, Bone are desperate to make any contact with the outside world. They are desperate to join the outside world. A phrase you can hear just a couple times on Faces of Death, but it sticks out to me. Someone will say, bus tickets. I'm bus tickets, motherfucker. Praise the 12 gauge, etc. These guys want out. These guys want bus tickets out. Anyway, here's Busy Bone. I tried to find a relatively calmer part. So these guys decide they want to work with Easy e with Ruthless Records. Justin Sales, this show's intrepid producer and editor, wrote a great piece about the Bone Thugs origin story for The Ringer a while back. Bone are all huge NWA fans, of course, and Ruthless Records is somewhat adrift after NWA's breakup. Easy e is feuding with Suge Knight and Death Row Records. He's getting clowned on Dr. Dre's blockbuster hit, The Chronic. Ice Cube's a huge solo star as well. Easy's looking for his own success on that scale, and Ruthless is signing everybody. Just a profoundly chaotic record label roster. They've got the great above the law, of course, but they've also got a Jewish rap group called Blood of Abraham. They got a Mexican rapper named Kid Frost. They've got two different all-female rap groups, one called Hose with Attitude, one called Menage a Trois. Very intense alternate spelling of Menage a Trois. Will I Am, a decidedly pre-fame Will I Am is skulking around somewhere in there. That kind of vibe. Ruthless is throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. And Bone Enterprise would like to be thrown at the wall as well. And so Flesh and Bone saves up his money from working at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he buys five one-way bus tickets, and they take the bus out to California. 2,000-plus miles this bus trip. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink. With seven rewards, it's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere 
else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1-7-25. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved. And so now the guys start off staying with a friend in Visalia, California, about 200 miles north of Ruthless headquarters in the San Fernando Valley. And Bones start calling the Ruthless office every day, trying to get Easy e on the phone. They get the secretary instead. They get Keisha Anderson instead. They call Keisha Anderson every day, sitting there in her cubicle or not, eating her Doritos or not, and getting exasperated, but being patient. Also, she takes the calls. She indulges them to some extent. And after a few weeks, they finally get Easy e on the phone. And depending on who's telling the story, either Crazy Bone raps over the phone or Crazy and Busy rap over the phone or everybody raps over the phone. I do not ordinarily buy these I rapped for him over the phone stories. We sang for her over the phone. I played our big hit song for them over the phone. I held the phone up to the radio. Like that genre of music biz origin story, that doesn't happen. Even Back to the Future. Everything and everybody sounds like shit over the phone, man. Especially in 1993. But this story, or the gist of it, I do buy, I think. I'm willing to believe that whatever and whoever Easy e heard over the phone, he got it. He got close to it. Here's Crazy Bone, by the way. Look out. Did you get all that? Do you think Easy e hypothetically got all that? He got enough. But the punchline is, Bone, of course, want to meet up with Easy e in person now. But he can't meet up with them in person because he's very busy. For example, he's got a show coming up soon in Cleveland. And so the Bone guys still camped out in Visalia, California, scrounge up the money for five one-way bus tickets back home, back to Cleveland. And they get backstage at Easy's Cleveland show. And that's where they get signed. That's the relatable part to me. This is a level of terrible planning and logistics that I respect that I personally understand, that I seek to emulate in my own life. Take a bus from Cleveland to California, talk to a guy in California on the phone from California, then take the bus back to Cleveland to meet the guy visiting from California in person. Fantastic. No notes. Bone signed to Ruthless. Easy E suggests the name Thugs in Harmony. Bone want to keep the bone in there somehow. Ergo, Bone Thugs in Harmony. They get bus tickets back to California, but at least now it's on Jerry Heller's dime. They hit the studio. They record a handful of songs, not enough for a full album yet, but Easy e won't wait. Bone Thugs and Harmony put out their Ruthless Records debut, an eight-song EP called Creepin' on a Come Up in 1994. Not even eight songs. Two separate intros, five songs, and a bitchin' guitar solo. But you understand immediately Easy es sense of urgency. It's not that nobody was rapping super fast in 1994. You got Das Effects. You got Foo Schnickens. You got Criss Cross. Hell, Twista made the Guinness Book of World Records in 92. It's not that nobody was rapping super melodically in 1994. Don't let Drake fans tell you that Drake invented melody. Don't let fans of a specific era of Jay-Z tell you that raps shouldn't have melodies at all. But the speed and the melody and above all the camaraderie, the musical and extra musical harmony of Bone Thugs and Harmony, that was shocking. I think it's fair to say. You wanted more of this. You wanted as much of these guys as possible, as fast as possible. Just a nonstop, luscious barrage of syllables. That's Lazy Bone on the song Thuggish Ruggish Bone, plus Shatasha Williams singing the hook. She says she didn't get any royalties for this song. Complex interviewed her once and she said, I can see why they called it Ruthless. 
Records. Thuggish Ruggish Bone was a legitimate pop hit. Number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100. Produced by DJ Unique. That's capital U hyphen capital N-E-E-K. Remember that name. How could you possibly forget that name? Ditto the name Thuggish Ruggish Bone, for that matter. The opening shot of that video... And so by extension, the de facto visual introduction of Bone Thugs and Harmony to the outside world is a shot of all five dudes wrapping around a burning trash can. Quite a striking image. Did you know there's a Facebook group called Flaming Garbage Cans in hip-hop videos? 200 followers. If the government does destroy Facebook one day, I hope they keep just this one Facebook page. Somebody asked Wishbone once. The Cleveland Free Times interviewed him and asked if he ever did the flaming garbage can thing. And he said, quote, hell yeah, it gets cold in Cleveland. You ain't got nowhere to go and you out there serving. So best thing to do is light up one of them barrels full of trash and wood. But you got to wait until late at night when the police ain't riding that hard. But once you got that barrel... You can stay out there all night. End quote. They had a barrel on East 99th and another one behind the liquor store on 101st or 102nd. This image, the five of them shivering through another comically brutal Cleveland winter, huddled around a burning trash can, but more importantly, huddled close together, harmonizing whether they're talking, singing, rapping or not. This image explains a lot. I think Cleveland was not and is not in the habit of churning out pop stars. No offense to Eric Carmen or Michael Stanley or Machine Gun Kelly, but the creeping on a come up record anointed Bone Thugs and Harmony as legitimate pop stars. It went four times platinum, four million copies sold in America. This song's called No Surrender. Syllables. Seriously, the choruses on this thing are unreal. The vocal lines sound like chopped and screwed blues guitar solos. That's from the song Creepin' on a Come Up, in which Crazy Bone makes a withdrawal. And so on. Finally, there's For the Love of Money, another hit, just missed the top 40, another immaculate example of tongue twisting over slow beats, plus a guest verse from the man himself. Lazy Bone, talking to XXL about this record, once said, One of my fondest memories is Easy e asking us to write his verse, and us telling him he was Easy e and he had to write his own verse. And then he did. That's my fondest memory. I got to have it, bitch. For the love of this shit. Wishbone in that interview about the trash can fires, to my mind, there's another super striking image in there. He's talking about his mother in the early years, the Bone Enterprise years, the Band-Aid Boys years. Wishbone says, when we were starting out, we used to sing for my mother all the time. She'd make us sing a song, I Miss You, by a local Cleveland group called Men at Large. That helped us develop our vocals. And then we got comfortable singing and rapping. Do you know this song? I believe he's referring to the song So Alone, during which Men at Large sing the words, I miss you a lot. Men at Large put out their self-titled debut album in 1992, Cleveland R&B group, two guys, Dave and Jason, called Men at Large because they're husky. The song So Alone is pretty incredible. Talk about ecstatic melancholy. Talk about a communal outpouring of grief. Don't read the comments on anything on the internet, ever. I think we can agree on this. But I will say that So Alone by Men at Large on YouTube, the comments are something else, just overwhelming. Just about 4,000 people grieving for their wives, their husbands, their fathers, their mothers, their sons, their cousins, their friends. You have never seen more completely sincere crying emojis in your whole life. Comment after comment after comment of people saying 
this song makes me cry, and this is the person I'm crying over. It gets to you. It's truly overwhelming, and it's truly lovely in its way. You never miss a good friend So Bone Thugs in Harmony, singing at Wishbone's mother's request, harmonizing for her and harmonizing on this song specifically. That's a lot to process. That's an unbreakable bond no matter how many lineup changes or how much personal turmoil or how much death they've got in front of them. When the Source magazine interviewed Bone Thugs and Harmony in late 1994 and asked, how do you develop your songs? Wishbone said, a lot of reefer. And Lazy Bone said, we sit down and get high as fuck and we damn near become the same motherfucker. That's my favorite description of the Bone Thugs creative process. That's my favorite description of anyone's creative process. We sit down and get high as fuck and we damn near become the same motherfucker. This process is evident throughout the first full-length Bone Thugs and Harmony record, E-1999 Eternal, which came out in July 1995 and went six times platinum. Six million copies. Cleveland as a complicated physical place, as a home you long to escape, but love enough to know you'll never truly escape. Cleveland is evident, is physically present, Throughout this record, there was another great ringer piece by Daniel Gray Contar back in 2016 about Bones Neighborhood, about East 99th Street, about how to them, what this neighborhood meant was family. The guys tell stories about sitting around in the summer, writing the songs that would end up on E-1999 Eternal. So Crazy Bone says, I remember we were sitting on my mother's porch one day and we came up with a song right there. He means this song. First of the month, best song ever written about welfare checks, a pop hit too. Peaked at number 14. This record's got 17 tracks, no intros, no guitar solos, and it holds the fuck up as a whole. If you don't mind my saying, I don't mean to gloss over it. I'm quite partial to a song called Crept and We Came, which is a sequel which is a neat shift from creeping on a come up from the hopeful present tense to the triumphant past tense between which they sold millions of records, even more immaculate tongue twisting over slow beats. Yeah. Amazing. I don't mean to gloss over the other 16 songs on this record, but I do think one song justifiably dominates this record. And I do think So Alone by Men at Large is the single most important precedent to that one dominant song. Sorry, I keep coming back to So Alone. I keep coming back to the YouTube comments. Specifically, I keep coming back to the bizarre emotional state of feeling terrible for all these grieving people, but feeling heartened somewhat because they found some solace in sharing their grief with one another. And that's quite a powerful, quite a necessary idea. And that's the idea Bone Thugs and Harmony are working with on a song that is, in its original version, just called Crossroad. And while I even know you're gone, you still got Crossroad was dedicated and slung slash rapped directly to a close friend of the groups named Wallace Laird III, a.k.a. Wally, who'd been shot and killed. Really, Wally was a member of Bone Thugs, or at least a member of the group's larger collective called Mo Thugs. Lazy Bone, talking to Hip Hop DX, said, Wally was like the first security guard that I ever had, but he was really my best friend. Even when we was selling dope back in the day, we was brothers. We had our little operation and all that at 14, 15 years old, trying to be somebody. And now, here is Lazy Bone rhyming eyes, cry, why, sigh, and die. Come and take a good look deep into the stuff. 
roguish, roguish eyes See the ghost is crying And I'm asking the killer why inside He told me we live to die Not a new this version of the song, Crossroads Singular, is a singular tribute to Wally. It's on the original version of E-1999 Eternal. You can find people in the YouTube comments that prefer this version, and I do not begrudge those commenters, though I will reiterate that you should never read the comments on anything ever. Run out another wrong to do with a dream Make a deal with the struggles like you, Wally I love you to death, but I wish I could have saved through your troubles But then Easy e died Easy e died on March 26, 1995. He died of complications from AIDS. He was 30. Easy e died a few months before Bones' E-1999 Eternal came out, hence the title. But as just a little time passed and the group experienced even more loss, they decided to remix Crossroad to honor Easy e and Wally and another Mo Thugs member named John Boo Moore and Wishbone's Uncle Charles, among others. And thus, The Crossroads was born and released in April 1996 and added to the E-1999 Eternal album. And pretty soon it was reigning for a couple months as the number one song in America. That's Busy Bone with a partial roll call. I do briefly want to call attention to this beat. E-1999 Eternal was executive produced by Eazy-E and DJ Unique. Thank you for remembering that name. DJ Unique produced the whole album, pretty much. And if you listen to a lot of Bone Thugs and Harmony, you can grow quite attached to the sonic template DJ Unique developed for Bone Thugs and Harmony because there is just so much rapping. So many syllables. The ideal beat for a Bone Thug song is clean, is relatively simple, is relatively calm. And man, I dig the bass lines, especially the piano type bass lines. Just a simple left hand on the piano bass line, just the structure, the support it quietly offers. A hand on your shoulder, a steadying influence, doing more with less as the most transpires all around it. Now follow me, Rose Joe. Weather is tell her it's seven. Come, let's go take a visit to the people that's long gone there. That's Crazy Bone with another roll call. Here's Wishbone with an important addition to it. Why'd I kill my dog? Yeah, man, I miss my Uncle Charles, y'all. And he should be gone in front of his home when they did the rule was wrong. I had this whole thing, this rant, I guess, I was going to lay on you. I thought better of it, mostly about this weird, unpleasant image, this scene that pops into my head every once in a great while. It's random. It's unconnected to anything. It's unfair, almost. But the scene I suddenly picture is a large group of college kids at a party, maybe a frat party, maybe not. And they're all drunk. And they're all drunkenly, sloppily, joyously singing along at the top of their little collegiate lungs to the masterpiece song, I Miss My Homies. I really miss my homies Even though you're gone away I know you're in a better place It's unfair because this didn't happen to me. I didn't hear about it anywhere. It's unconnected to anything in my personal experience. I didn't go to parties in college, pretty much. Surprise. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre tangent right now, and it's a bizarre tangent in my own head. And near as I can figure it, it's me working out the calculus of a hit song, a rap song, a pop song about grief, about enormous personal grief, such as Master P's grief over the death of his brother, Kevin. A rap song about grief that becomes a crossover smash hit, which means that millions of people know the song and love the song and sing along, rap along, stumble along to the lyrics to that song without any connection to the real-life, dearly departed person the singer-slash-rapper is singing-slash-rapping about. I'm working out whether anything changes emotionally in that translation. A pop song is a vehicle for joy, almost by definition, an instant vehicle for joy. The crossroads comes on and you feel joy. It's a dopamine hit. It's a revelation. That's not disrespectful on your part if this extremely sad song makes you extremely happy. But it's weird, right? It's tricky. This is all a way of saying there is I miss my Uncle Charles, y'all, bootleg merch. T-shirts, 
notebooks. There are YouTube explainers about Uncle Charles, a shout out and a Key and Peel sketch, memes, etc. Uncle Charles was Wishbone's mother's brother. Uncle Charles took Wishbone to Wishbone's first concert to see Prince at the Front Row Theater in Cleveland. And now, Uncle Charles is a pop culture character. Millions of people have sung slash rapped about him and how they miss him. They know Uncle Charles because of the song. And that's a beautiful thing, actually, now that I think about it in real time. It's tricky, but it's beautiful, too. And it's all down to I miss my Uncle Charles, y'all, being a fantastic line, a fantastic melody, a fantastic earworm. Tons of these fantastic earworms in this song, of course. This one, also from Wishbone, is my personal favorite. Can somebody, anybody tell me why? Can somebody, anybody tell me why? We die, we die. I get that loop caught in my head. From time to time, I catch myself going, can somebody, anybody tell me why? Which makes a lot more sense as a random thing stuck in my head, given that it's a fantastic earworm from an all-time smash hit crossover pop song. And it's such a sad line that I feel bad sort of cheerfully, ineptly rapping along to it in my head. But it's a great line. It's a great question. In that same vein, I feel bad chuckling whenever I rewatch the video for the crossroads, MTV played the bejesus out of that video, and suffice it to say that the crossroads video packs a Marvel movie's worth of CGI into four minutes and change. The finest CGI 1996 had to offer. The face coming out of the brick wall. It's not funny, but it's a little funny, right? When your grief is this melodious, this infectious, this joyous, this anthemic, now it belongs to everybody. It belongs even to the people who aren't grieving. But then again, as I learned from some YouTube comments recently, pretty much everyone is grieving somebody. And if you aren't, then one day you will. I don't tell you that to bum you out. I tell you that so you know that when you are bummed out, you've got options about where to turn and who to turn to. Just like they reminisce over you or soul alone or just like Puff Daddy's I'll be missing you if that's more your speed. The crossroads is here when you want it. But more importantly, it'll be here when you need it. Our guest today is Israel Daramola, a writer and critic who's written for Pitchfork, Spin, BuzzFeed, and many other fine publications, including The Ringer. Uh, Israel, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for letting me on. Of course, of course. Uh, to your mind, where did Bone Thugs and Harmony come from musically? Like, I try not to ever describe anyone as unique, you know, or say nobody else has ever sounded like this. But like, in terms of the speed and the melody and the harmony, like, these guys do feel pretty distinct. Like, what is the precedent here? They were incredibly distinct, which isn't the same as to say, like, they were the first to do anything. Right. But their combinations and their style, it created something that just had never been heard before, really. And I don't want to be like hyperbolic, but right. it is essentially like something you've never heard before. Yeah. But, you know, before Bone Thugs, it was like a separation of church and state a little bit mm -hmm. where rappers rapped and then you'd have singers <laughs> Who yeah. come in maybe and do a hook. Maybe they get their own verse, but it was never like together. Mm -hmm. They were like, in fact, they, they have like a very animosity fueled relationship together sure. for a long time. And then guys like Nate Dog comes along, mm -hmm. who is not quite a singer, but also not a rapper, mm -hmm. but like is, is sort of like, bringing the two styles together to make something new. Right. And uh, the thing that, that's interesting to me about Bone Thugs is they're like boys to men, but mm -hmm. rappers. <laughs> like, they're like right. really legit singers. Yeah. But they are also like incredibly like tough street-wise like rappers. 
Yeah. Who are just happen to have these like really great voices and they don't yeah. hide their voices. Right. So right. It's, it's like, that's kind of something that you just never experience. Yeah. I've read a lot about how like they're being from Cleveland. Like it's not so much that they're from Cleveland is that they're not from the East coast or the West coast. Like they're not bound to what's happening in Los Angeles or what's happening in New York. Like they're sort of regionless and they can pull from anywhere. And that's part of the reason that they're able to bridge the singing and rapping divide. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. But also, and I don't know if it's because of the easy E factor, but they are very West Coast influenced. Right. You know, their style is very, it's almost like a demented G-Funk style <laughs> where it's just like taking G-Funk but making it like darker and the rapping is faster and more like, like if they had been from like Oakland or something, I wouldn't be shocked. Right. But, but you know, the fact that they're from Cleveland, Ohio, but they find their opportunity in L.A., definitely influences their style. Yeah. I see Bone Thugs often described as doo-wop or doo-wop influenced. I, do you hear a doo-wop influence yourself or does that comparison feel more incidental? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's in the, the harmony of what they do, mm -hmm. of like trying to harmonize with each other and matching each other's, both their rap style cadences and mm -hmm. their tunefulness in the way that like they do their melodies they're yeah. always about like matching each other and like nobody really stands out mm -hmm. i mean obviously like maybe crazy bonus like the main engine hmm. but they're all about like this uniformity in their style which right. is very doo-wop and very barbershop quartet Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you if you had a favorite, because for me, part of, you know, listening to a lot of a rap group, one of the thing that's fun for me is like they start to separate a little bit and like you start getting you start playing favorites in your head. But it's a little harder with Bone Thugs. And is that a strength that there isn't so much separation that they're finishing each other's lines, that they're blending like that on purpose? Well, I guess it's, it's the other side of the tribe or outcast divide where it's mm -hmm. like those guys are so distinct that like mm -hmm. they almost don't make sense together and their fans <laughs> spend years trying to divide them for whatever right. reason right but right. when you bring them together with like bone thugs it's like they're just so uniform that it feels silly to even think of them as four separate people solo rappers like, I, yeah. I honestly would love to know how if people even know how many people are in both of <laughs> or like 10 15 because you know, like it just doesn't matter but yeah right you know, over time crazy starts to separate himself and be mm -hmm. more of like the the distinct member of the group but they are really all they're all bone thugs even when they're not together right 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 has any rapper or rap group since been able to do anything approaching what Bone Thugs did? Like, I think about Notorious Thugs, the Biggie track, and it's just amazing that he adjusts to their speed and their style at all. Like, has anyone managed to do anything like that consistently? I, you know, I think you see that a lot with trap artists like Young Thug and Future, where people are trying to, like, match their style and their energy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Drake does that a lot. Where like Drake will get on a track with somebody like Roddy Rich or like Future or somebody and try to rap like if not like them, but in a way that their audiences would understand. Right. Mm -hmm. But no, no one really does that anymore. Everybody's like just kind of doing their own thing. And it's yeah. actually funny that like in this time of like excessive collaboration. <laughs> the idea of like chemistry or like yeah. matching what the other person does as like a strength is like actually not a factor in any of these records. Right. What's missing is the harmony. Yeah, there's no there's no harmony really. Like I think the last time that happened was the Rich Gang mixtape. Yeah. Where yeah, like Young yeah. Thug and Rich Homie Kwan, mm -hmm. what makes their dynamic work is that 
they both have chemistry, but they're also trying to harmonize with each other on songs. Right. Like Flavor, they're mm-hmm. trying to harmonize with each other. And I don't, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. I also love excessive collaboration as a way to describe our current yeah, era. That's- both in rap and also <laughs> just in like products. <laughs> just everybody's <laughs> getting together. It's just the collaboration era, I right. guess. Yeah. Uh, because Bone Thugs have a more distinct sound, like thinking about them now in 2021, does that tie them closer to their era? Do they sound like more explicitly like 90s rappers to you? Or do they sound timeless or at least less retro since there's fewer people you can compare them to? I don't know if i call it timeless. Yeah. Because it does feel dated, but it mm. also doesn't feel like any specific time period it just feels like outside of time right their own thing that Mm -hmm. like is not necessarily current but also is just like nobody else sounds like them and nobody sounded like them at the time at the time you know you could always tell a bone thug song Mm -hmm. like you know they do that song with mariah carey for her album and like the minute you hear it you think it's a bone thug song Right. Even as Mariah Carey just kind of jumps in and you don't even realize that like she's doing all of the singing and all of the verse mm-hmm. and they just come in at the end. But like it just sounds like a Bone Thug song right. from the production, ad libs and uh, hooks. Yeah. Um, you told me that you have memories of singing of hearing the crossroads in church. Like broadly, what is that like? That sounds like a very intense experience to me well i grew up in a very religious family yeah and you know when you're going to church all the time with other kids who are going to church all the time Mm -hmm. you just try to have fun and try to get away with doing things you shouldn't do and one of those things is singing rap songs (laughs) and we just like sing the most wildest offensive rap songs in church, like as a collective until like the adults had to yell at us and tell us to stop. Like what? What songs? I don't even know. I think maybe one time we, we tried to sing the whisper song. This was like at the <laughs> the height of when the Yang Yang twins whips whisper song came out. Oh boy. And like it was on the radio all the time. It was. And it's one of those things where like one kid either starts it or is like doing the beat on a table mm-hmm. and you just you just get into the moment of like doing the song you don't even think about where you are <laughs> at, the, at the moment and this is probably before the, the I don't know if like kids get this now but like this is before the album came out so like all mm-hmm. we heard was the clean version okay I was gonna all ask. Plays on the radio yeah yeah. So like we don't know what they are technically saying mm. in the actual song, but like you know, you get you get you still get the gist. But I think you do. <laughs> going back to Bone Thugs. Yes, please. I remember seeing Crossroads was like stood out to me because it was one of the songs we could get away with right. Because that's actually a really clean record. Mm-hmm. It's That's like there's true. no there's no curse words in it, and also it gets into that thing of like it it feels religious. It feels it very religious. Of so you know, Christians are really fixated on death, the idea of like dying and going to heaven, but it's also true. the idea that like the world we live in is hell that mm-hmm. we have to overcome. It's actually a really dark song, but like it's such yeah. <laughs> it's it's such a like an irresistible hook and like the way they rap it is just like it's fun to rap along to. So you don't really think about like how like depressing and like how like it's a real fear. Like they're like, I don't want it. Di- I'm going to die someday and I don't want to. I don't want to be alone when I die. Yeah, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to, like, I don't want to pay for the things I did on this Mm -hmm. earth because I had to. Right. You know, it's just, it's a a really deep song. But so I think 
people were just kind of fine with us rapping along to that because at least it felt kind of religious. Sure. Um, I've always closely associated the crossroads with I'll Be Missing You with Puff as just two massive crossover rap hits that each eulogize like a very specific, famous, and beloved rapper. Like, is there anything right. that those two songs can teach us about how hip hop specifically mourns its dead? Not really. I mean, because. <laughs> totally well, <laughs> an acceptable answer. Yeah. No, because, like, it. On some level, no, you never know when a song is going to blow up. Sure. But on another level, especially in the case of Puff. Well, right. Yeah. Some songs are like engineered to be hits. And I don't think people think to themselves, I'm going to make a hit song for my dead friend mm-hmm. because like that will be the, the true lasting legacy, a way to like remember them. Like, I think that people just either choose to memorialize a friend through a song or an artist through a song, and it might catch on, it might not. Like, it's funny that, like, Tupac doesn't have a song. Like, there's no song that anyone wrote about Tupac's death that, like, became, like, even a thing where, like, I can think of one on the top of my head. Sure. So, Easy and... Notorious B.I.G. were just like in interesting positions where like they were next to people who were going to be big stars. And so they were able to like have these memorialized records that became these synonymous hits. Right. Because I guess I was thinking like there's no rock song eulogizing Kurt Cobain anywhere near this explicitly at anywhere near this scale. And I was wondering if like rap music was more in touch with its feelings in that sense, or we at least more willing to just outright say, here is a song that we wrote for you specifically. But like the reason I'll be missing you as a hit is because it's based on one of the biggest hits of the eighties. Like it's just a straight, like that's, that's much more important to how huge that song is than what it's about. But I do think there's something to that. We're like, right. we do want to memorialize people yeah. in hip hop songs more likely because of the circumstances of how people who become rappers grow up. Right. But also, like, you know, when Kirk Cobain was alive and a major star, he wasn't like making friends with like big people in the industry. He was using his platform to like push up bands like, the meat uh, puppets. Daniel yeah. Johnston and Jawbreaker and the Melvins and like bands that just w- had been lifers and were working already right. and just never got the opportunity to like play for a large crowd. So like I don't know, it'd be weird if like one of these grunge the big grunge bands were like, let's write a song for Kurt Cobain to memorialize like right, it doesn't right. seem like at the height of grudge all these guys are like hanging out with each other no they were just part of the same scene right uh, both those have a chaotic history and discography. Like guys will drop out and come back. Flesh and Bone was in prison, but like they've put out records consistently and they're touring right now. Like with a hit as huge as the Crossroads, do they not get the credit they deserve for consistency and longevity? Probably not. Uh, there is something about Bone Thugs that feels gimmicky, even though it's not a gimmick. Right. Like they feel like a gimmick like these guys who rap really fast and sing like they do mm-hmm. with this like barbershop quartet style. Right. It just feels gimmicky, even though it's really hard to pull off and it's really hard to pull off in a way that's like you take them seriously. Mm-hmm. But like fast rapping has become such a punchline now, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of like style where like, every white rapper does it now. <laughs> so it's become this like joke right. style. But I guess th- there is this thing of like being too innovative. No, where, like, absolutely. You're s- where you're so innovative that like, how do other people 
kind of match you without like outright copying you. No, I get that. Absolutely. Uh, this has been awesome, Israel. Thanks so much for collaborating with us today. No we problem. Rest in peace to Uncle Charles. That's right. And to Ab- Easy. Always, always. Thanks very much to our guest this week, Israel Daramola. Thanks, as always, to our intrepid producers, Justin Sales, Isaac Lee, and Lonnie Ronaldo. And thanks very much to you for listening. Without further ado, here are Bone Thugs and Harmony with The Crossroads. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.